0: Hello fellow systems engineers, welcome back to another episode of the MBSE podcast. This time we have a very special guest. We have Mr. SysML, also known as Sandy Friedenthal. He has been one of the leaders and driving forces behind the language since the early days of SysML v1 and it was a great honor to work with him on SysML v2. And we are very happy that he takes the time to have us. And uh, we are having a hopefully great exchange. And we think you got a ton of questions for sysmlv 2 We had some other sessions with other people like its. And this time, we will talk a little bit more about the application. But Sandy, before we talk too much, please introduce yourself.
1: Good afternoon, Christian. Good evening, I guess, where you are. Um, yeah so yeah i'm sandy friedenthal i worked at uh, lockheed martin for my last portion of my uh career and I, I left there in 2000 at the end of 2010 and uh and i started my own uh, consulting while i was at lockheed uh, i basically grew up as a system engineer and uh over the last several years i led up their model-based systems engineering initiative they called it model-based system development at the time, and uh, I helped uh, the organizations across Lockheed, and the, and the various projects within those organizations. I helped help them in terms of their adoption of MBSE, and uh, we introduced SysML starting back in 2006, uh, five, six, seven timeframe. Um, so I uh, over that period of time, I've continued to work on. Evolving the standard uh, worked through the SysML RTF, SysML version one RTF, uh, helped kickstart SysML v2. And uh, here we are today with uh, as we begin
2: transitioning towards SysML v2. Yeah, great. So thanks, Chandy, and great that you're here in our show. And well, Last now two weeks ago, last two weeks ago, this manual two was adapted at the OMG meeting in Washington or Reston. So many people ask me, what actually does adoption mean? Uh, uh, so is it already there? Is it final? Is it released? Can we use this manual two? So please tell us a bit about what happened at the OMG meeting and what adoption mean. Okay, thanks, Kim. Um, so uh, so basically
1: the. The way the OMG process works, the Object Management Group, is they issue an RFP, and that's done through the OMG. And the RFP contains the requirements. In this case, for SysML v2, so define what is it we want from the language. So it took uh, you know a few years to develop those requirements, and that was issued back in 2017, December of 2017. Uh, The RFP, you know, came out, was approved by the OMG. And then a submission team uh, takes those requirements and develops a response to those requirements. And they develop a a submission. And the submission basically is the specification for the language. So they take the initial requirements that, that are in the RFP and they try and develop a specification for the language, which tool vendors can then implement. So the S, the system LV2 submission team was formed back in 2000, uh, December 2017, right after the RFP came out. And, uh, at that, uh, they, what they did is they, uh, basically came and submitted that set of specifications to the OMG and for adoption. So what happened, uh, rest in a couple of weeks ago. Is the System L V two submission team submitted the specifications for uh, their what they called their final submission, and the intent was for the OMG to approve it and basically uh, adopt adopt it. But this initial adoption is as a beta specification. So what it means is uh, the the OMG now has the specification. It is it, it is in their hands at this time. It It has to go through a couple more wickets before it becomes uh, an actual beta specification, and then it enters this finalization phase, where uh, basically tool vendors have an opportunity to raise implementation issues against the beta specification, and um, this uh, and then the finalization task force, which are part of the OMG, then address those issues. And this results in a uh, update to the to the specifications, which then gets uh, basically submitted to the OMG with a final report, gets approved. And at that point, it becomes a formally adopted spec. So I said a lot of things. But bottom line is what happened last week, week and a half ago, is we We started the process of this becoming a beta spec, beta specification, uh, which is approved by the OMG and entering the finalization phase. And in approximately uh, a year, year and a half from now, sometime in 2024, we expect this beta spec to become a formally adopted specification, updated and reflect that formally adopted specification long answer but that's what
0: mm-hmm. the process is <laughs> okay great Yeah, Sandy, maybe you, you can tell us a little bit about um, the sst phase when uh, the users were formulating uh, requirements to the language um, how how ca- how could uh, users influence the language the new language
1: well the users were responsible for developing the requirements that went into that RFP. So that was a, a two to three year process, really a little bit longer than that, to be honest, uh, where we had, you know, it was primarily driven by uh, users within uh, INCOSI and the OMG working together through the system engineering domain special interest group, which is part of the OMG, but they worked together to define what are the requirements for this language. So it was driven from the beginning through those requirements, which were completely come from the user. Once the RFP was issued and the system submission team was formed, we had good representation from the user community, as well as from tool vendors, as well as from academia and others but we had good representation from the user community to take the requirements that were in the RFP and continue to validate them, meaning uh, make sure that they they reflected what the users really wanted in those requirements. And then as the language progressed, as the language design progressed in response to the requirements, the users had an opportunity to then take the language as designed and as implemented in a pilot uh, pilot implementation to then validate that in fact, they were getting what they expected. So it's, it's a user-driven process from the beginning. We formulated the requirements and then as the language evolved, as the language design evolved, we had an opportunity to, to basically validate we were getting what we asked for. And provide that feedback.
2: Yeah, great. Sometimes the, well, the the UML and and the SysML we won were criticized for being developed by a committee, uh, so but, which is wrong, uh, I think. Uh, but this time we explicitly uh, integrated the the users into the the process, or much stronger than before. Uh, who, who were the the users of, for example, from which domains did the users come?
1: um so first of all i'm not sure being involved with the development of system lv1 i wouldn't agree it was developed by committee we had a a pretty good structure there but i mean i Mm -hmm. that's that's fair uh criticism it may appear that way but it wasn't um uh but at any rate with respect to v2 when you ask what domain do the users come from they they typically are uh most of them are representatives from organizations that are part of the omg and there's a large number of of user organizations for example company that i used to work for lockheed Uh, we had uh you know lockheed had representation on this and a lot of the a lot of other companies had representation uh in fact there was something like over the five plus years that we worked on this there were over, uh, you know, 200 people that participated in the development of this specification coming from, I think, over 80 different organizations. So we had a lot of different uh, user representatives, some of them very active all the way through, some came and gone, uh, you know, but but we had good, mm-hmm. good inputs. In addition, if I might add, we did conduct uh, a couple of different Times. We certainly communicated through NCOSI to the broader systems engineering community, and we conducted a user validation review. Uh, I think we did two of those that were, I think we had something like 400 people participate. It was done online, and we mm-hmm. walked through the language. So we really tried to engage the users. We had other mechanisms as well. So, anyway. any rate. Yeah.
2: So, um, now System LV2 is adapted. Can I already use System LV2 in practice? does it make sense to start with System LV2 already in projects. Oh. What
1: makes sense to do is to start thinking about the transition to System LV2. From if you're if you're a current V1 user, then you would be transitioning from System LV1 to System LV2. Mm-hmm. Or if you haven't been a System LV1 user, it's still an opportunity to start thinking about transitioning from your current practice to a, a model-based system engineering practice with V2. With and the, what we have available to us right now, at least in terms of the uh, open community, is there is the pilot implementation that was developed as part of the SysML V2 submission uh, effort. Uh, Ed Seidowitz led that. He's he's the co-lead uh, on SysML V2. And the pilot implementation is a rigorous implementation of the specification. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of fancy user interface or anything like that, but it's a rigorous implementation and people can use it. A couple of different ways in which you can, uh, a couple of different environments in which you can use this pilot implementation. So my suggestion would be for people to start using the pilot implementation uh, in mm-hmm. advance of the vendors coming out with their tools, and get familiar with System L V two, and start trying to understand the implications and the and the uh, the impact it would have on your modeling practices and the like. And so that you can do right here, right now. No, I think it would be too early for a project to actually start using System L V two. We want to wait till we have uh, commercial commercially available vendor tools. I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. But no reason not, I think it's important to start now, get familiar with the language and, you know, basically assessing it, its implications on your overall practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's what I would recommend. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Speaking of uh, commercially available tools, um, what is your opinion on SysML v2? Will it change the tool landscape or Will there be the same four or five uh, big modeling tool vendors or is there space for new startups?
1: Well, I think there clearly will be the, the current SysML V1 vendors. I anticipate that and have reason to believe that most of those will uh, be developing SysML V2 uh, modeling tools. Uh, but I do think others will join, uh, maybe large companies, maybe startups. Uh, I've seen indications of that. So I do think it's going to change the landscape. And I would say not only in terms of the SysML v2 modeling tools, but because SysML v2 includes a standardized API, I think that's going to motivate an awful lot of other uh, software, you know, other tool vendors, if you will, to uh, look for ways to integrate with the system lv2 modeling tool through the API and be part of the broader uh, digital engineering ecosystem and i i I anticipate really substantial uh uh, increases in the number of applications that will be talking to system lv2 tools so i think we'll Mm -hmm. see that Mm -hmm. that change in the landscape Mm -hmm. yeah i
2: think a good example is tom sawyer they only provide a visualization tool, uh, which is great. Uh, so things like that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you can see. Sorry, I would just elaborate by saying I think you'll see more analysis tools, uh, trying to integrate with System LV two, more uh, mm-hmm. CAD tools, uh, more, uh, you know, PLM tools, uh, configuration management, um, all kind, and as well as. Things like you mentioned, visualization, graph visualization tools like Tom Sawyer and others. But I think I really think there's just many, many opportunities for, for this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, companies have invested a lot of um, money, time in, in system level 1, right? so tools, uh, training, uh, guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and now uh, we come with the system level 2. So how can projects migrate from SysMLV 1 to v 2? So what what are their options?
1: Well, um, I think in, in what I mentioned before about s- starting the, this transition process, this is an opportunity to, to improve your practice. And mm-hmm. I think we shouldn't think of this as just a language change and you're just moving from one language to another but rather as an opportunity to substantially improve your practice and you could do this incrementally but i think what system lv2 does is it it puts you on an, another level where your ability to evolve can be at a very different rate high much higher rate than your ability to evolve with V1. I think there's so much opportunity going into the future. So view this initial step as just putting yourself sort of on this next level of the platform, and then being in a position where you can evolve your practice and make substantial improvements, not only in terms of capability, but in terms of quality. and And I would like to emphasize the quality aspect because. You know, I, I see a lot of System V1 models and, you know, to be honest, it's mixed. The, the quality is is very mixed. And I think we all ought to think about this as an opportunity to, to move to this a level of a much higher level of quality. And then from there, look at advancing your practice. There are just many things that we're going to be able to do with V2 that we could not realistically do with V1. Uh, just to name you know, one example, I think we'll see, what, because SysML V2 is much more precise, um, that we'll have the opportunity, and it's got this uh, semantic foundation, that we'll have the ability to apply reasoning that we tried to do with V1, but we were quite limited. I think we're going to be able to apply uh, analysis in terms of sort of logical reasoning about our models. At a, at a new level, that's not going to happen overnight, but we'll be able to start taking advantage of some of the reasoning tools out there and do some very sophisticated things. That may not be for everybody, but I think for some that may turn out to be incredibly important. And uh, that's just one example. Integrating with more traditional engineering analysis, I think we're going to be able to do a much, much better job with that as well. Uh, many opportunities to to really take some significant steps in your MBSE practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you speak of 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 the practice uh, of practicing of, of system LV 2 that it sounds like it it's getting easier and uh that there are a lot of low-hanging fruits that people are able to to gather. Uh, in a ve- very easy way. Is this impression t- true? And how is it different to a SysML v1?
1: Low-hanging fruit. Um,
0: it's a good question.
1: Um, I think the first low-hanging fruit may be to take your existing models and make them clearer and just make them more understandable. Uh, so I would say that's the, the initial low-hanging fruit. Um, I think the 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 less the 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 next higher hanging fruit will be to you know improve your methodologies and be able to take advantage of this language. I I think we barely started to explore that, but for example, I envision that with System L V two, there are opportunities to do collaborative modeling that we didn't have with V one. I have particular reasons for saying that. It's a little hard to describe in a, in a few words here, but I do do think that there will be a lot of opportunity to really improve collaborative modeling. What does that ultimately mean? It means that different, you know, whether you're different subsystems working on the model, or whether you're different discipline engineers, uh, reliability engineer, security engineer, performance focused, whatever it is you all can go on and work, if you will, more concurrently. So it's really a form of concurrent engineering where you're working concurrently on the model and not tripping over yourselves, but working collaboratively, doing your part of the modeling and being able to integrate it into the whole in a more effective way. None of this is easy. This is all going to require... You know, significant looks at our methodologies, our modeling practices, and discipline uh, system engineering. But these all opportunities. If we are able to successfully do that, then we start to realize the promise of what we used to call years ago concurrent engineering, which is where you can really you know speed up the process, get quality in the design, and all of these kind of things, and you know address. Downstream considerations earlier in the process, uh, and avoid having to do rework later. All of those kind of benefits that you could potentially get get if we can take advantage of this language, and improve our methodologies, and bring the discipline to this next level.
2: Okay. So sometimes I hear that that people well. They are a little bit worried because, well, the output of the SST team, the specification looks very complicated for people who are not familiar with Vita modeling and so. Um, And then they see the textual notation, which, well, on the first view, if you're not familiar with with programming, it's it's also very complicated. So what do you think? Is SysMLV2 easier to learn than SysMLV1 for an engineer, or is it more complicated for
1: So the way I've responded to that is I believe, well, System lv 2 is a, there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to learn the whole language real quickly. Let's put it that way. But what you can do is I think you can get to a base level capability quickly. I really believe that. Now we haven't had enough experience to prove that yet. Uh, you know, we don't have mm-hmm. tools. For example, yeah. that we can use. We have the pilot implementation. I've done some, you know, informal introductions of the language to people who, uh, in some cases, had very little experience with SysML, and other cases, more experience. And I can see that learning process is quite quick to get to that base level. So I think you'll be able to get to a base level of of capability fairly quickly. Be productive on a a program pretty quickly. Of course, you'll need you'll need some level of support. But the language is much less idiosyncratic than System LB1. It it doesn't have as many of these idiosyncrasies and exceptions. It's more regular. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I think you'll find it easier to learn once you get a handle on some of the basic patterns of the language. So you learn it quickly. Now. Once you get to that point, it may take—you um, know—it's it, it, going to be over time. Then you can evolve your understanding and take advantage of more and more features of the language. But uh, mm. that's my thinking, and and my hope is that we'll be able to get to that first level quickly.
0: Mm. Okay, and is it an advantage if I'm already a SysML V1 practitioner?
1: Um. Yes, I think so because the concepts at one, you know, at, at, at one level are are quite, you know, at least some of the core concepts are very similar. I mean, the notions of behavior and structure and requirements and those kind of concepts, which you're very familiar with as a system LB1 user, carry over directly into system LB2. Uh, the only difference is, again, it's more regular. So you'll see this regular pattern and you'll find it. Actually, frankly, it'll be quite satisfying to move from V1 to V2 and see those differences. So if you know V1, I think you'll be able to pick up V2 uh, fairly quickly. There will be some things you will you may scratch your head about a little bit uh, here and there initially. But then as mm-hmm. you use it a, a bit, you'll say, oh, okay. And that's only because you're used to system LV1. And in system LV2, there are clearly differences uh, that, mm-hmm. that you'll need to get familiar with
2: you name some of the main differences between System v2 and System v one? So
1: I think the one uh, I think well, yes. Um, so I guess from a user perspective, uh, yes. first yeah. first, you'd see the fact that we do have the textual syntax along with the graphical syntax. So we have both and they're complementary. They're just different re- renderings, different concrete syntax for the same underlying model, the same underlying abstract syntax and semantics, but different concrete syntax. So you can look at something textually, you can look at it graphically. If you, yeah, I expect the tools to support, if you make a change in the graphical notation, it would change the textual. If you change the textual, it changes the graphical. So those two should stay in sync. That's my expectation from the tools, because they are literally representations of the same underlying model. Mm-hmm. okay so that's mm-hmm. that's one of the obvious first uh, differences and we uh, can discuss what that does for you, but that, that's a big difference. Uh, the other big difference for you know kind of a sticks out right away is the this notion of the definition and usage pattern. Uh, and this is this is uh, a, in my opinion, a huge improvement. And we go from, you know, there, this notion of definition and usage was in system b one We referred to it, but it was informal. Uh, it wasn't, you know, per se, part of the language. The definition and usage concept was there. For example, we considered block a definition element and a part property, a usage of that block. Mm-hmm. And you could have many different usages for the same definition. Uh, so you only had to define things once and you could use it many times. And that's a great thing. Uh, but it was applied inconsistently in system LB1. Um, for example, a part and a, and a block. That's a a usage and a definition. And we had action and activity. And, you know, we had other things that were in effect similar in the pattern, but they actually didn't work the same. Move over to V2. Definition and usage is applied consistently across all the language concepts. And it's a consistent pattern. And once you use that, you learn that basic pattern, it applies to virtually everything, whether it's parts or ports or actions or requirements or constraints or this or that or what have you. So across the language, you can apply this definition and usage pattern. And it provides all kinds of really nice benefits. Uh, starting with the fact that it's just regular and, and less idiosyncratic than you had in B1, as I mentioned before. Uh, there's many other differences in the language. If you go through, um, you know, concept by concept, there's, you know, and, and it would take a long time to go through all the differences, but, uh, you know, requirements are are more uh, rigorously defined. We had the notion of, for example, property-based requirements that were introduced in System lb one in a non-normative annex. Well, they were designed into the language in SysMLv2. So we have any requirement can, not only include a shall statement like you would expect, but you can also specify uh, a constraint expression as part of the requirement that can then be uh, evaluated through analysis to see whether you met the requirement or not, as an example. Mm -hmm. But there are literally, you know, a host of very substantial changes, which I would call them virtually all significant improvements in the language. And Mm -hmm. we need time to go through those. And we'll we'll work on that uh, over over time to. To make that available uh, i will just finish by noting that we do have um, some training material that came out of the sysmail v2 submission team and in uh, there's both textual training material and graphical training material in the graphical mm-hmm. training material which is available open source there's a goes through the different concepts and you'll see what we call a v2 marker and that v2 marker identifies something that's different in v2 than was in v1 so it's a good good source Mm -hmm. to start seeing a lot of the Mm -hmm. differences Mm
2: -hmm. okay uh coming back to the textual syntax now that's well one of the most significant changes um I talked to many people, mainly software engineers or systems engineers who were software engineers that they would like to use it like, like source code. So they would like to skip the underlying model. They have the textual syntax and then they check in their model, their, the text files in GitHub. And that's it. So it's not an intended use, but what if you don't use, need the benefits of an underlying model? Uh, it works. It's, it's a little bit the way the, the patent implementation works at the moment. Um, so, what do you think about those approaches? I, I'm pretty sure they will c- come up, uh, but I'm not sure if it's a good way.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's up to the modeler to decide how they, you know, what works for them. I mean, some people, if you come from a software development background, by the way, I do not, mm-hmm. uh, but I actually really like the, the, the textual syntax. Uh, but if you come from a software development background, I, I would assume the textual syntax will be very natural. Uh, if you come from a system engineering background, like I said, I don't come from a software development. I've developed s- software for simulations and things like that in years past, but uh, I find the textual s- syntax to be, I, I believe it's very intuitive for the most part. There are places where it's not. Uh, but for the most part, it's fairly straightforward. I mean, You know, if you're creating a part hierarchy, you have a part and then a bracket, and then you have an indentured part that's nested within the part and another part and another part. And then you can nest parts within that. So you have a parts tree. It looks like a parts tree. Mm -hmm. So it's very straightforward uh, in in many cases. Um, So I think uh, I think what people will find, I believe, is that the combination of graphical and textual. They really are complementary. Uh, when you're looking at a piece of the system, a cohesive piece, uh, the textual syntax is a very efficient way to look at it. And uh, got examples even in the graphical syntax where you look at it and you say, "Gosh, yes, that's easier to look at textually. It's mm-hmm. it's clear, it's more compact and more precise." On the other hand, if you're looking at cross-cutting relationships that span the, the system. That cross-cut, cross-cut the system yeah. the graphical syntax is really critical i i can't look at a start to look at a large model in a textual form and make sense out of it i need the graphical representation to uh, understand the system so i think mm-hmm. people will find the combination to be very useful that's my
0: sense yeah okay Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, coming back on learning the language, um, is there already other ideas for a certification program for System LV two, or will OMG handle that somehow?
1: I think there's, uh, there's definitely interest in a certification program. I think uh, one of the challenges we have with the System LV one certification program is very hard to keep it current. Keep it current with the standard. The standard evolves. Probably every two years, there was a new revision to SysML. And it was very challenging. uh, Frankly, we're not, the certification program was not able to keep up. It's expensive in in both dollars and time, resources, people in terms of developing the questions, in terms of validating the questions, all of this, and getting a good statistical response. So it's a meaningful certification. All of this was really challenging. Aspect of SysMel B one I'm hoping that we rethink the approach to certification in v2. I consider it to be critical because people, as part of this quality effort that I mentioned before about getting quality in our models, we need to make sure that the modelers themselves are, in fact, certified to use this language. Uh, so I think that's going to be important, but we have to address this issue with how to keep it current because I anticipate that V2 will evolve perhaps even more quickly than V1 did. That there'll be evolutions in terms of uh, the, the, the language itself will be will be stable, but I think there'll be new capabilities that get added to the language, for example. Uh, there'll be new domain-specific extensions and things like that. So um, we need a way to keep that certification up to date. I, I do see, I saw even at the last meeting that there's, you know, they're starting to talk about it. So it will happen, um, yeah. but that's going to take time. Yeah.
2: Okay, so, whoa, time is up again. <laughs> uh, it's felt fast again, and we could talk longer about we too. Um, but, but I guess we will do more episodes about the new language in the future. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, Sandy, um, to be here in our show. And well, our next topic, this time is already set. Uh, we will talk about, or oh, we have an episode from our series MBSE Around the World. And this time we visit France uh, with Raphael Faudou. I hope I spelled his name correctly. Uh, he was one of the MBSE co chairs of the French chapter of Incosy. Uh, And it will be April 26th, the same time. And well, finally, do not forget. Trust us, we are systems engineers.